Hey, what's up? It's Sean. I just wanted to hop on here real quick to let you guys know that the House of Screams has teamed up with Horror Pop Radio in an effort to bring you guys interviews with not just new and rising stars within the horror community, but some seasoned vets as well. We're really stoked, and we hope you are too. So, from our family at the House That Screams to yours, have a safe and happy holiday. Hi, I'm Candy the Flannel Girl. And I'm Sean of the Dead. I'm Erica Wright. I'm Nico Nice. And this is the house that screams. Welcome to the first meeting of the Final Girl Support Group. And we have a very special guest, the number one best-selling book, the Final Girl Support Group's author, Grady Hendrix. Thank you all for having me here. I hope we all survive. I'm curious what will be left of us at the end of this. I, <laughs> I have to warn y'all in advance. Um, I, I'm behind on my next book that's coming out next summer. So I am, I've been told I've got a December 14th, 9 a.m. drop dead deadline. So I am fried. So um, the more of a conversation we have, the less stupid I'm going to look because I've been basically living in this stinky little office I'm in right now, uh, racing through on these rewrites. That's totally understandable. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to start out just by asking a couple of general questions. Yeah. Um. I guess uh, I, I, I have a tendency to go first and, and I, I exercise that right, usually. Um, I wanted to ask um, if you did like a lot of research for the Final Girl Support Group book, are you, or were you already a, a horror fan and, and knew what you were going to do with the, the, the concept? Yeah, I had a basic idea. I do a ton of research when I write my books. Um, Final Girl Support Group was a weird one because I knew where I was going with it. And I wasn't a big slasher fan when I wrote the book. Um, I liked slashers fine and, and I, I appreciated them. And, you know, I, but in terms of research, I focused a lot on people who use wheelchairs and how that works and distances and um, geography and stuff like that, handguns, all that stuff. And the only research I really did was I'm pretty familiar with the movies that were the heart of the book, right? And I, and I really tried to focus on the part ones and part twos and not go beyond that. And I read Carol Clover's Men, Women, and Chainsaws, um, and then the book I read that actually was really, well, the two books I read that turned out to be really, really useful is I always like to see sort of from a, a literature, literature point of view, what, what came before it. So, um, you know, if I'm writing an exorcism book, I'll read exorcism novels and, um, it kind of helps you avoid stepping in, in pitfalls and you learn what not to do. And there aren't really any slasher books. There are a few here and there, but mostly they're serial killer books. And the few slasher books 
are kind of knocked off of the movies and they don't really feel book-like. There's just a difference between a book and a movie, even if a movie's in book form. Um, and so what I found myself going back to, weirdly enough, were fairy tales because a lot of them, like you look at Red Riding Hood and that's kind of like, you know, a teenage girl goes into the woods. She's warned by her mother not to do a certain thing. She does that thing. Immediately this overwhelming male monster appears and she can only survive by using cunning and guile. And so the book I wound up reading a lot for this was um, Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber, which is her 70s kind of feminist revisionist book of fairy tales. And um, it's really tactile and very sexualized and very violent. Um, and then the other one I read a lot was Maria Warner's uh, No Go the Boogeyman, which is her history of the boogeyman in sort of popular culture. Um, and that was kind of it. And then after it was done, I usually do these one person shows for instead of doing author events. So that was when I watched a ton of the movies and really dove into a lot of the research and all that. And that was really fun. Um, and I and I've really kind of fallen in love with slashers, but for the book, it was just, it was limited. That, that's really deep. That is like such an interesting answer. And I'm going to hand that off to Sean the Dead here. Well, my question's pretty basic, um, considering that we are a horror movie podcast. Um, I'm going to take a line from Stab, I mean Scream, and ask <laughs> you, what is your favorite horror movie? Well, I mean, God, it depends, right? So, like, I don't know. What are you a slasher guy, zombie guy, werewolf guy? Where do you fall? Um, I, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> hit all the genres. My probably my favorite film is Return of the Living Dead. So, I guess you could say okay. I'm a zombie guy. So, wait, Candy, what are you? Um, speaking technically, because I'm such a Romero fan, um, I guess it would be zombies. But I'm a huge vampire fan. But okay. Yeah, yeah. Erica. Um, I like a lot of different types of horror, but I'm especially into extreme horror. Um, I'm friends with a Russian independent film director named Andrei Iskanov, and we've become close friends over the years. But I adore his movies and was lucky enough to get to act in one of them recently. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and wait, Nico, where are you on this? Um, for me, it's definitely slashers and werewolves. My my favorite horror movie of all time is an American Werewolf in London. So but, um, I feel like I'm amongst good company. I'm I'm a big zombie guy. I saw zomb I saw Dawn of the Dead way too young, and it really <clears throat> imprinted. And Return of the Living Dead is sort of I think not just one of the great horror, my favorite horror movie, but I think it's one of the one of the the handful of greatest movies ever made just because i feel like it really it just it makes all these promises and then over delivers on each and every one of them um but but in terms of slashers like in in, in sheer love of just one i can watch over and over it's black christmas black christmas i still think is genuinely creepy it came out early so a lot of the genre tropes weren't there um in terms of slashers that i think are just amazing friday the 13th part two I, it really had a big impact on me as a kid that opening with adrian king just getting knocked off so callously um and i read that in fangoria before i ever saw the movie and um really freaked me out but and i also think 
you know, like, let's be honest, Sean Cunningham is not a director. Like, no, I, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Friday, Friday one is fun. But like Steve Miner knows where to put the camera. And so two is really fun and like really well made and, and sweaty. And I like Baghead Jason. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I've only seen twice and I don't need to see it again. But man, that is a movie that sticks with you. Um, it really is one of a kind. Um, and in terms of the nightmare movies, I mean, three is the one I saw in theaters, but I've got a lot of love for four and five. Just yes. I think Alice Johnson yes. is a great final yes. girl. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I feel like, yeah, that strikes the right note. So I, I actually have I actually have a very deep connection with part four. I did my own horror con here back in 2014, and I actually had an entire cast reunion sans Robert England because he was another show that weekend. But I actually oh, wow. became very close with with all of them over that weekend. Like to this day, I'm still in contact with Danny Hassel with Tuesday Night with Ken oh, Sagos. Wow. Ken Sagos is one of my really good friends because of that oh, show. Wow. I actually made really good friends with Felissa Rose there, and she didn't even come to the show because she got sick. She was the only one that actually canceled, but because of that, her and I have been friends for over 10 years now that we constantly, whenever she's here on the East Coast, make it a point to always hang out with her. We, we get together, we go out to dinner, and we just hang yeah. out. Well, I mean, it's a really underrated Friday, too. I mean, Alice is a great final girl. And also, like, you've got the fight in the dream dojo, people turning into roaches, the time loop, which I think is such a smart idea. Um, you know, it's so, so good. One of the best gearing up scenes in, like, 80s cinema after Aliens. Um, nice. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I think Five is kind of the ultimate nightmare movie because it's, the Friday, the nightmare movies are so sexualized in a way the Halloween franchise and the Friday franchise isn't. Like, Freddy's the king of bad touch. He's licking people. He's crawling out of their bodies. And, like, in Five is the one where, like, she gives birth to the baby Freddy, which is kind of, like, the ultimate violating horribleness. Um, and so, like, yeah, Four and Five I had a lot of love for. And then with the Halloween movies, like, um, I... I really feel like one and two H2O and the 2018 one are sort of my like Laurie Strode trilogy. Um, and, and, you know, I love three, three's fun. Four, I think is underrated. Uh, but I'm, I, one, you know, one, I feel like the way I feel about Friday one and out of the three of them, I think nightmare one's still the most fun, but you know, Friday one and Halloween one are important movies and it's amazing how much John Carpenter got right uh, in that movie. It really kind of blows me away, but yeah. So you asked one movie and I just gave you like 15, and that's what we do. And, and I just wanted to tag on there and it can count as my second question and it's not even a question but what we do here a lot is 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 have our franchise battles and um you know that we're we're ending our fourth season right now but we found that um you know as most of us were you know we were growing up in the 80s uh you know it's our age group for all yeah. of us pretty much and um it was marketed towards us as children you know with uh are you freddy person or are you a jason person and yeah. what we found out is that the females being eric and i between those two um we're the freddy fans and the men are the jason fans and i think i think that's super interesting i'm like i wonder i would have expected that is. the opposite of that actually like 
Yeah, but yeah. I think it, I think it's just maybe the way that I, I think that Freddie's much more creative, and it's it's yeah. not he doesn't have the body count, but he has like it's like the quality over quantity. Yes, you know, well, yeah. and, and so that's what we appreciate. But we also have a sidecast called Ghouls Night Out on here where we do feminist things, and we've often asked that question, like, why is it that we like those and the men like the Jason movies? Like, there has to be a reason to that. There has to be some kind of psychology to that. And we've, we haven't figured that out yet, but we're working on it. Um, well, so you know, I it's interesting, right? Because, like, Jason's so hung up on his mother. Like, I, like you would never date Jason. You know, if, no. if like, like, he's... he's <laughs> I think my ex-husband was Jason. <laughs> yeah. And also, Jason doesn't have a lot of fun. Like, he basically lived in a lake for a really long time. Freddie has fun. Freddie oh, yeah. enjoys his job. He's outgoing. He has conversations, some back and forth. Like, I mean, Freddie's dating material, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, Candy, too, like, um, yeah. I think men, men typically, it's Jason and Michael Myers, I think, are like the top two. But like, as a kid, I was, I was a Freddie fan growing up. And then I think as I got older, I realized how much fun the Friday movies really were. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of why I gravitated towards. Well, interestingly cool. enough, the first Friday the 13th movie we ever covered was Jason takes Manhattan because it's my favorite. And that is probably this. Well, I, I was going to say the stupidest, but then I thought, wait, Jason X. Okay. Um, so no, it's certainly one it, of the most disliked. I think it, it is uh, intensely hated and not it's, on this side. it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, but it's my favorite. Of that oh, I think franchise. it's fun. But yeah, people get really hung up on the fact that he doesn't get to Manhattan for a really long time, which I kind of get like no one likes the journey. They want the destination. Maybe we should all be more open. Yeah, right. but it, there's so much non-logic in it. And it's one of the least gory of the, the franchise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, why do I love it yeah. so much? I don't know. It was on HBO lot or yeah. something. I have no idea. Halloween <laughs> but, yeah, is always that, so I'll count humorless. that as my second question. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, I always find it, Halloween like a really no joking allowed franchise, which I think is very so weird. Until until yeah. the new ones, though. I think with now with the fact they got David Gordon Green and and Danny McBride, I think behind at the helm of it. I I mean, like we we actually did like a group watch. We all watched Halloween Kills together when it premiered. The day on it came out. Even though even though I cheated and went the night before when it came out in theaters. But I mean, the general vibe was that that's that was more of like a, a comedic, like you know, interlude between yeah. between both Halloween twenty eighteen and eventually Halloween ends yeah. when it comes out next yeah. year. So I don't know. I, I think I think now because you have a comedian kind of writing that one, I, I, you can kind of sense that there's a lot of more humor in, yeah. in the Halloween movies now that there wasn't. You're right, there I wasn't agree. before. I mean, yeah. super and also Michael. it's funny because <laughs> yeah. No, because those guys also are very much character-based comedians. And so I think it's, you know, I think a lot of the comedy in the new Halloween movies is very, um, very deadpan and very character-based and sort of um, ridiculous in that way, which I think not is, is not on everyone's wavelength or not everyone's speed. Yeah. And, you know, my confusion and I stand by this. I said this in my review of when we, we did, which we did immediately after we watched the film. I said, it's the best Jason movie I've ever seen because <laughs> it, it felt yeah, more like it does, a Jason. It didn't Voorhees. feel like a Friday movie. It didn't feel like, you know, the shape. It didn't feel like Michael Myers. It felt like a Jason. Movie. Yeah. And yeah. I talk too much. So I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> and that's hard. Nico, Erica. Oh. I got a, a Go question. ahead, Erica. 
I am just curious, like, how old were you when you first got into the horror genre as a moviegoer or a reader? And, like, what attracted you to horror in the first place? Yeah, I wasn't a horror guy as a kid. Um, I The book covers and the VHS covers freaked me out too much. The ads scared me a lot. So I always sort of did it by remove. So, like, I read Fangoria, right, Every when I could get a copy of it. And... Um, and then pretend I'd seen the movies or I'd read like the mad magazine parodies of like Jaws or The Exorcist or um, I uh, and then I would catch them on TV and be really like I remember the first movie I really remember catching like I saw The Shining in the edited for TV version and um, and I only saw it in bits because I, I kept getting run out of the room by, by my great aunt because I was, wasn't supposed to be watching I would just stand behind my my uncle as he watched it and chewed tobacco and, um, and uh, you know, watched like bits and pieces. So it wasn't really until I was 11 or 12 and started reading Stephen King that I really got into horror. And then after that, it was all, it was, I think what happens to a lot of people, it's all social. Like you watch horror movies with your friends. And so you kind of spend those teenage years associating horror movies with hanging out. And I think that's something that continues and is one reason kind of the horror fan communities, um, a fun one is because we're all kind of looking for that sleepover experience again. Um, but that was sort of it, you know, that was really what it was for me. And then I grew up in a real tourist town, uh, Charleston in South Carolina. And so there were always ghost stories around. So like, I always thought they were pretty boring. Like most of those like, um, true ghost stories that like you know people just recycle and sort of reskin from town to town they're not the greatest but even that was always sort of more exciting than what else was on offer i don't know why i got into it it was just i think this the reason i liked horror is the reason i still like horror like i like writing horror which is that it's not on another planet it's not in the past it's not in a magical world it's usually here and now roughly and it's just more interesting. There's just actual werewolves and ghosts and people die. And um, that's just more interesting than daily life. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and yeah, the horror genre is just a place where you can pretty much do whatever you want. Bring up themes, yeah. not be serious, be serious, you know, do a lot of stuff. So I kind of wanted to go back to the, to the book a little bit. So I yeah. actually, this was, this was on my radar. Um, I think earlier this year when Bully Disgusting put out their, um, their, their must like there, there must 21, 20, 2021 list of you must watch, you must read, you must listen list earlier this year. And admittedly, and and I'm ashamed to admit, I hadn't read any of your books prior to this That's one. That's fine. Which, but, but, and I, and I had seen my best friend's exorcism at, at Books A Million. Like, I'm like, wow, this looks really interesting. And I just never got around to picking it up for whatever reason. But then when the final girl support group was being you know touted as like like the next big thing for this year for books i'm like well like i got i gotta read this and then you know i think i picked it up a week after it came out um through amazon and i had already seen early reviews saying how like this was like one of the best books you'll ever read listen i'm gonna tell you no no not blowing smoke up your ass <laughs> because you're on the show um this is probably the best book i've read in the past 15 oh. years okay dude that's really um, nice of you this this is and we all we all agreed and we're all going to jump in with this in a second oh yeah dude dude your books are like crack like they're highly they addictive are. cannot they are. get enough <laughs> um i i honestly like and i 
<laughs> right, right. And they and they last longer. <laughs> I last longer with this. But um and I wish she was here, but she's actually working in the room. My my roommate, um, I was I would like read in between while, while I was working because I work at, at, a, at a, you know, work from home at a call center and I'm reading the book like in between like different things and I'm like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, could not like like I had to I had to keep going. I had like I was up till like three or four every morning. It took me like two two or three days to finish the book. Because I, I, I and and I and I honestly like I told everybody I'm like you need to stop whatever you're reading. I think I was reading. I forgot what I was reading because as soon as it came in, I stopped to read your book. Um, yeah, like, I, well, right. I, I to me the greatest compliment is I ruin people's sleep hygiene. So I really appreciate. <laughs> so that. no, you did for three days, <laughs> and then I, I told my um my my friend Amy, who's also going to be my co-producer on on a film that we're going to be doing soon. I was oh, cool. like, listen, you actually met her at the Mahoning. We were all together yes, at the yes, Mahoning yes, yes. when you were here. Yes, yes. So. Um, I had told her, I was like, what? and I think she, she told you the same thing. I was like, listen, you need to read this book. So she stopped whatever she was doing. She got the book and she, what she said, like a night she was up. She finished yeah. it in one day because she could not put it down. That's what and I, I think did that, is I finished it in 24 hours. And, and I, and I was telling her, I mean, I mean, they, they had known about it. I mean, cause you know, we're, we're in the know about all this stuff, but like, I was like, Candy, Erica, Sean, like you have to read this book. Like I could not put this. I book was down. drawn to it right when it came out, and it was around the time that we went to the Mahoning to meet up for jo the Joe Bob event, and er and we were going to pick up Erica at the the airport, but her plane was a little delayed, so we were in the bookstore and I had it in my hand, and then she texts us, and I'm like, I'll get it later, and I did, and I was like, oh my god, I read fast anyway. People think like I do it on purpose, and I don't. Um, I that was my my area. It's of enthusiasm. Studies. Yeah, I I I love um, I love it when I'm like I need one more chapter and I end up just finishing the fucking book because I have to know what happens. I unless people like I won't watch a series unless they drop the whole series. I have right. to be able to watch it when I want to watch it. If I want to watch five episodes, I want to do that. So yeah, I devoured it. And I and, and, oh, and the I really interesting thing, it. It, I I mean it's hard to impress me. And I was so impressed because not only am I a writer, but like, I don't know, it's just like that, that steady diet of Stephen King since nine years old. Like, it's, it's really hard to find something that will get into me like that, where I, I can't put it down. I literally couldn't put it down. And uh, I, he even rushed through it. And he's the slowest yeah, fucking reader. I am, I am a <laughs> notoriously slow reader. And really, you know, it's like, from work and the kids and everything like my reading schedule is typically like right when i lay down in bed yeah i grab my book and honestly if i can make it more than three pages without the book falling on my face and me snoring and me nudging you and and when she finished the book she's like you have to read this and and so i started reading it and i think it literally was what two or three days and i was blown away i would never oh, wow. read something so fast <laughs> no i really appreciate that let me let me also let me also piggyback on that so like it was it was to the point like i went to um books a million found my best friend's exorcism and god damn it Grady, it was the same thing. It was within like two or three days. I had this finished, and I was messaging them like, "You need to read this. Like, whatever you're doing, stop." So, also too, just to know, let you know how important your book is to me for the new one that I got for my birthday, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Um, I was actually reading Lord of the Rings for the first time, the, the Fellowship of the Ring. I stopped. Yeah. My journey into Middle Earth because <laughs> I I wanted to read this book. 
Now, I'm going to say, if you stopped in the Tom Bombadil chapter, I'm not going to be... No, no, no. It was right after. You made it through Tom Bombadil? I made it through Tom Bombadil. I made it through Tom Bombadil. I know, but, you know, god damn it. I appreciate that. The summer, man, because, like, when I when I met you, I was even, like, at your table. I was like, do you have it? And you're like, no, dude, it's all sold out. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. So, and then it was sold out for, like, months i couldn't find this anywhere i know it was like supply chain stuff like so many of my books were like not around in october which is a little frustrating it felt specifically hurtful and targeted like the whole world was just targeting me um, <laughs> like it's like they're horror books come on man yeah. it's october well I, I know this is off topic but i just want to thank you for the flex on tom bombadil because i was <laughs> I enjoyed the the Lord of the Rings films, and I was a little sour that they didn't throw some Tom Bombadil in there. Excuse my wedding you know, ring. I, I have the one hate, ring on. <laughs> oh, nice. I actually don't hate Tom Bombadil. I reread the Lord of the Rings books, and I actually stopped after Hobbit and Fellowship. But um, a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know, this Tom Bombadil stuff's actually a lot more interesting than I remember it as a kid. You know, as a right. kid, you just want to get through the good stuff. And now I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. It's a little the folk wisdom. Yeah, it's a little folk horry. It's the willow tree eating them, which is creepy. Like, it's got good stuff in there. But it is, man, it is a digression. Yeah. It feels like an assignment <laughs> when you're younger. But when, when you're, you're older. When you're a kid, you're like, when do I get the good stuff? Right. Do I have to write Real, the like, paper was, now? Or? Listen, like, I, I, I breezed right through The Hobbit because I, I got the box out yeah. with, all, with all four of the books. And I'm, I'm The Hobbit, I couldn't put down either. But Need to read this summer. It, but, 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 but. I took me a little longer to read The Hobbit than it took me to read Final Girl Support Group and My Best Friend's Exorcism. <laughs> well, it's not an easy I'm read. Tolkien. Well, it's 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 not even that, man. Like, I mean, because like again, like everybody else, like I grew up, like I have a whole library of like Stephen King and like you know all types of books. We're here, all man. readers. That's why we're the yeah, ones here. And and I mean, this this isn't even really. I guess this is kind of a question too. Like, I mean, you know, back back when we were all kids, I mean, it was Stephen yeah. King, it was Clive Barker, and it was Dean Koontz, and now. This new generation has Adam Caesar, mm-hmm. Stephen Graham Jones, and you. And oh, I, I feel like out of I feel like out of the three, I I think that you're leading the pack. I mean, the other two are fantastic authors as well because mm-hmm. I've, I've I've actually read, um, and I own Clown Under Cornfield, and I thought that was fantastic. But yeah, dude, I mean this this book alone, like it just it got me so energized to like want to finish like what I want to do with my movie oh, career that's really- that you. Like this really like gave me like the kick in the ass during the summer that I needed to really like push everything forward. That to me is always the nicest thing when like someone finds something and something I've done that like gets them doing their own creative stuff. Like, cause I remember books like that when I was a kid. So it's nice to feel like, like I'm able to do that for someone else. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's not enough out there. I don't, I, I want new, I want more. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, Erica, did you have another question? Yeah, so, well, I've got a couple of that, I don't know if that's cheating, but, um, yeah, like, I loved, uh, well, I've loved all of your books that I've read so far, um, like, halfway through, um, the, the Southern Book Club one, but, uh, and that's, like, super fun, but I suppose you have this wonderful blend of horror and humor that, you know, like, neither elements too overpowering, it's definitely more horror, I think, but the humor does not detract from how creepy, you know, certain things are, but, I think what makes your books really addictive for me is that your characters are just so believable and they feel so authentic. Oh, thanks. And both Candy and I were kind of wondering, like, what's your secret to writing uh, <laughs> these really realistic characters? Well, 
there, in particular sort of, women for this book. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, it's funny, like everyone in my books is based on someone real. Like it it might be someone I know, it might be someone I see on the subway or something, you know, or we don't really have subways right this minute so much. But you know, it's like, but there there's a real starting place where by the time they get on the page, they're really different. But for me, the big thing is um taking them really seriously. Um, you know, like and, and that happens, I'm a fast writer, which I don't love because it means I wind up rewriting a lot. And so the more I rewrite, the more I'm able to layer in more about the characters and figure stuff out. Um, like right now I'm in this sort of 12 day stretch to do this massive rewrite on the book that's coming out next summer, How to Sell a Haunted House. And so, you know, I've, I've taken, I'm trying to think, one, four really huge set pieces and really just thrown them out the window because they didn't center on the characters and they didn't serve two purposes, like a physical purpose and a, a story purpose and an emotional purpose. Um, I've been able to rework some elements from them, but it, to me, it's like the whole process is just narrowing down on these characters and what's their weak spots. And, you know, and it, it's embarrassing sometimes to get so far into a book and realize you didn't really get the person you were writing about. I mean, a big case in point for that is um, I did this heavy metal horror novel called We Sold Our Souls. And that book got canceled because it just wasn't coming together. And I, I sort of did this Hail Mary rewrite in about seven days. And it was a radically different book after that. But it was also, I had missed the point on so much character stuff. I just missed it. I was and and so like it's really irritating to me <laughs> to to get these characters so wrong so many times, and it's always really nice to finally get them right. Um, and it really is just a matter of getting past sort of the bullshit in my head, the stuff I want to do, the points I want to make, the stuff I think is cool, the badass scene, and getting to like taking them really seriously um, on, on their own terms and not the terms I want them to be on. Um, like, you know, with the, in my best friend's exorcism, there's this, uh, the exorcist is this, this power lifter and, um, mm -hmm. really taking him seriously and realizing that in a lot of ways, he was kind of the hero of the book. Like he really sacrificed a lot to make amends for what he did it was like this really hard moment for me, but because I was like, well, he's not as funny now. Um, and like, but I was like, but that's more honest here. So it's really just trying to figure out what these characters are and being direct with it and being honest to it, which is weird because they're just my made up imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah. I completely understand it. And I think that's where a lot of writers, you know, I, I've been writing <clears throat> for so long. I can't remember when I wasn't. But it's like, I think for a lot of writers, they're afraid of that, like, oh, God, now I have to rewrite. And that's where a lot of people stop because it's like, mm -hmm. that's too hard. And it's like, I, you know, I have to tell people like you have to write and then you have to rewrite it and then you have to rewrite it and then you have to edit and then you have to rewrite it. But you cannot like he does, which his problem is with finishing. He never finishes anything because he, he edits as he goes. I'm like, you can't. Yeah. You have to write well, it. Some people do. I mean, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, he edited as he went. So it took him He's a long time. He's from my but... hometown. And I actually got to see him speak. He's one of my oh, favorite wow. writers. But yeah. he wrote a different kind of fiction that is all its own type of, like, nobody ever 
rights like sure. Kurt Vonnegut. Nobody can be a Kurt Vonnegut. I think that's right. a very special thing. Um, like for the rest of us regular Joes, because like none of us are Vonnegut, you know, um, we have to, you know, at least I find what's most successful as a writer, like to, as in getting things done is write it, edit it later. But, you know, that mm -hmm. tends to be, you know, there's not a super hard and fast rule on that. But yeah. he, right. I noticed that he gets nothing done and I have eight and a half novels sitting around. Well, so right. thanks for calling me out. I mean. I'm, I'm just saying, like, well, honey, of course, I'm going to use you. I live with you. I know how you write. I mean, yeah, like, but sorry. You know, again, too, it's like. Yeah, go ahead. It was well, going to say it's it's like the argument about, you know, the outliner versus the, you know, seat of your pants writer. Like no outline. Mm -hmm. You know, it for some people outlines work and for some people it it impedes their their creative abilities. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I sometimes have them. I sometimes don't. I use them, then break away from them. I'll outline the next chapter. Like it's really it, for me, it's a really messy process. Um, it's subjective. And, you know, it's interesting, though, just to say, because this sort of ties in with what Erica was saying, you know, like um, I, I'm, I know Stephen Graham Jones pretty well and he is always writing. I mean, he writes like, a, I'm in, I'm in awe of his ability to write. And like, he'll sit in an airport and write two chapters of his book and they're good. Um, but Steven's a very different writer than me because Steven will do things to his characters that I just can't bring myself to do. Um, Paul Tremblay is a little the same way. Like Paul's characters, he really grounds them in a way that makes them sometimes very warts and all that I get really uncomfortable with, but I really respect like everyone's sort of a different writer, you know, and it's, and it's interesting just to see they each have a different from where I'm sitting, they each have a different relationship with their characters, you know, like to me, they're kind of like my friends um, to, sometimes. to, yeah, <laughs> to Paul, they're like, versions of him like he's very honest and sort of like upfront about that um to steven they're like um not toys because because he takes them very seriously but he will just put them through hell in a way that i'm like and leave them in dark places and i'm like jesus christ how do you do that <laughs> aren't they angry at you yeah <laughs> yeah and i was um if, if we didn't have any more general questions, I wanted to launch into discussing the final girl support group because uh, I have a little bit of a point that I wanted to make right off the bat, if that's okay. Yeah. If everybody is okay with moving into that. Yeah. Okay. And if you are listening to this and you have not read the book, um, I suggest maybe like pause this uh, or stop it, go read the book, come back, because we will talk spoilers of the book. And I would hate to spoil this book for you. Yeah. I'd hate to ruin that experience. It was a great one. So, and it continues to be great, but. Okay, so the final girl support group. Uh, I have to preamble this just a little bit. I, I'm so guilty of preamble and I'm gonna try to keep it short. Um, I'm obviously obsessed, you know, I go by Candy, the final girl, and um, I do that because I actually feel like I am a real final girl. Just through experience of my life, we won't go into that. But, um, and I always, and I've said this throughout the entire history of our podcast when we talk about um, films, like for, do you guys ever stop and think what happens to the final girl after the movie, after the end? It's not really the end, it's for them, it's the beginning of a different life. 
And, um, you know, like you got PTSD, you've got urine therapy for life. Like they're, they're paranoia, anxiety disorders. Like this is the kind of stuff that I live with. And that's why I use that. I am a final girl. And Eric and I have a a horror themed beauty makeup company called final girl cosmetics. I mean, and we like, yeah, final girls, it's so important to me. So I would like to start off by, by diving into the book and saying, Lynette, is my favorite character. And I, and here's why I see me in her, mm-hmm. you know, um, the constant, you know, bits of paranoia and the fact that, you know, throughout the book, not only does she have, you know, she has such a, like a routine, which is very, you know, the OCD ticks and, and things like that, the paranoia, always having a plan and, you know, um, and her walls are up so thick and so high that she's not even revealing to the reader things that are important information until much later. And while that could be used as a plot device, I don't really feel like it is here. I feel like that is just the nature of her and 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 just that abysmal judge of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's another thing like, oh, my God, this character is me. Um, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I saw a bit of myself in all of them, but like her being the main character, I think really is so important. The crux, you know, like I think I, I, while I, I, I think the other characters are so very interesting, like she was the perfect one to pick as our main character and as our oh, sometimes thanks. unreliable narrator. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And I didn't even think of her as an unreliable narrator until my editor said that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess she is. I was like, she, to me, I feel, is, like, yeah. I feel like everyone's an unreliable narrator. They're like, we all edit our life stories and leave things out that make, you know, I've got a good story, but I'm going to leave out the parts that make me look like an asshole. Yeah, I don't um, want to look like I'm an idiot. <laughs> you <yeah>. know, <laughs> we'll glorify it a little bit. But the, but the funny thing with Lynette is, you know, I wrote this book for a really long time. And um, and Lynette was supposed to be me, uh, and and I guess was to some extent because I always was like you know if I was a final girl if I was in that situation like um, I I wouldn't get I wouldn't get suckered twice like after the first time it happened I'd carry a gun everywhere and learn combat I'd be John Wick essentially <laughs> and I started writing this before there was a John Wick but I was like you know I used to be I'd have an escape route I mean I'm a big zombie fan so I'm always planning like how to get out of spaces how to harden spaces Same. all that stuff I think we all do um oh yeah and and then as I started to write the book with this badass Lynette voice um I was like oh my god all these things, all these planning of escape routes and being wary of other people, and all, that's that wouldn't make me safe. That would make me socially dysfunctional. That would make me really disordered and OCD. That's all this stuff I hate about myself just manifesting. Um, and so, and that's when her character really started to get interesting because it was like, oh, you're you're not the badass hero you think you are. You've just turned your life into a kind of a nightmare of all your damage. Yeah. And, and just her refusal. And and it's so real in that way that um, her refusal to like, accept that about herself, like, no, 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 I'm absolutely doing the right things. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this is so real in like what happens 
at the end of the movie, it's the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for instance, like PTSD, yeah. like you really don't have control over these type of things when you go through a uh, crisis. And so control is what anxiety disorders are about. And and when you have a traumatic thing and I'm like, did you research that um, people who are afflicted with these types of things or not really? I mean, a lot of that is and I don't mean to sound dismissive at all, but a lot of that was sort of imagining the outcomes because I didn't want to do a lot of research on the actual like psychiatric, like way trauma works because I didn't, I'm not qualified to speak to that. And so I you wanted nailed to focus. It. Well, I appreciate that. Um, but I think also some of it is, you know, having people who deal with this stuff in my life as, as friends and, and family, um, without knowing it, you kind of soak up how it works. You know, you sort of see them go through cycles and have better days and worse days. And, you know, if you've got your eyes open, you sort of learn a lot from watching how they keep going and have a day. And, you know, despite things that have happened to them. I think that's, you just, you did a fantastic job. I, I really appreciate it. Represented. You, you and really did. as a final girl myself, I, I do feel represented because I, I am Lynette basically. In a well, way. I really, no, I really appreciate <laughs> that. I mean, you know, of what you speak, so it means a lot. Um, and you know, one of the things that Lynette has in common with a lot of my characters, like uh, Abby and my best friend's extras or Chris, especially, and we sold our souls is she screws up. She gets it wrong. She does it wrong all the time. And she just keeps going. She just won't quit. And that's one thing. Yeah. And that's one thing I really learned from people I I know who've been through a lot of bad stuff in their lives is they don't get an option. Like, I mean, they do, but the option's horrible. The option is not a good one. Uh, The other option. And so every day for them is like, you know, this heroic act of sort of, getting up and and facing down really long odds where they have the experience to say they're not going to come out on the right side of it and then getting through that. And so that was something that really, um, I've been around that friends with that in that situation a lot in my life. And that's always been something that's really, I've been in awe of. So I think that bleeds over. So I'll close out my little comments and let everybody else have a chance to talk. But I just wanted to say like, yeah, you completely represented my struggles and I'm like, wow. Like I just knowing that like you just went with your gut and your own experiences, maybe that's what made it work so well that it's so true. And, um, you know, it it was, it was so engaging for me. It was so enthralling to go on that journey because it felt so real. So, like, like some, you know, obviously something I'm familiar with. So I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. But, and then, you know, and then everything else was so great too, but I'll hand it off yeah. to, uh, <laughs> no, I really appreciate that though. Thanks. And, and I don't, I don't necessarily have a question, just, you know, something I just wanted to throw out there. Um, when Nico first presented this book, um, and, and mentioned it and just hearing the name final girl support group, like it got my brain you know, the hamster and the wheels started turning and I started using my imagination and I thought, man, that's, I started thinking about all of the slasher films that I've watched throughout my life. And what would those girls do after everything happened? And, you know, and picturing, you know, like, you know, in my mind, I was picturing like a Heather Langenkamp and, you know, Tuesday night and like all of these girls, like, you know, sitting around, 
telling Marilyn their Marilyn Burns telling their stories and all that stuff. And so when I when I, when she finished the book and I started reading it and I saw the little you know references to all the different films, Scream, Halloween, Friday the 13th, you know, and, and things like that. And I thought, oh my God, like this is so cool because it's like, that's almost like how I imagined it, but it made it even better because it was like, not really that, you know what I'm saying? Right, it was almost right, yeah. like, it was almost like, I don't know. And, and, and I hope I'm by me saying this, it, it I'm not hurting your feelings. It was almost like slasher fanfic. Oh, no, I'm fine. With you that. know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it was like, as I'm reading it, I'm like, I'm like, this is super cool. Like, he's not coming out and saying that that's Halloween, but I know it's Halloween because right. that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. For me, it was like just reading it. And I think that that's what it got me going. And then when I started to read the story and I saw this girl who she just kept making mistake after mistake and, <laughs> you know, and she had her plant and, you know, it was just like, you know, it, it was such a great story. And Thanks. so I just, I just wanted to share that. No, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's funny what you said about the title, because this and my best friend's exorcism were both books that started with the title. Like every other book, the title's been hard to come by. Um, and those are two where I had the title before I had the story. Um, and I was really lucky, like everything you need to know about the story is sort of like uh, compressed into that title. Um, and so whenever I would get lost, which was frequently the title was kind of my compass to get out of the, to get out of the woods. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I adored this book as well. Like once again, the character development, but I also loved how you tied in like academic theory, like, uh, you know, kind of Carol Clover, you know, men, women, and chainsaws type concepts. Uh, oh, and even characters dialogue. I thought that was just fantastic to work that in with the, like the crazy Chrissy scenes. Although yeah. She might be, Maybe she's my favorite character. I don't know. <laughs> Chrissy was so much. Chrissy was so much fun to write, and that I that bet. Chrissy sequence used to be like three times longer. And my editor was like, "Dude, rein it in. It's you're starting to sound crazy." <laughs> And uh, I also just loved, uh, like, uh, the. I know Nico and I are kind of on the same page. I don't want to take his question, but I I loved how um, you you came up with these different uh, like fictional fictionalized variants of real horror franchises and the taglines like my favorite one that made me laugh was probably the gnome coming gnome yeah. coming <laughs> yeah yes yeah i want someone to make that movie so badly and i'm amazed no one has right yeah yeah that's what i'm saying we've got the ginger dead man versus the evil bong but we don't have that movie yeah <laughs> exactly so uh, my, mine's kind of a, a, a two question, but I just want yeah, to yeah. quick give a shout out to to Fine the Plant. Yeah, who was the unsung hero of that book. It's been really nice <laughs> to see people embrace Fine. He is based yes. on a real plant I had that I, I killed and couldn't keep alive, a pepper uh, plant consumed uh, by spider mites. Yeah, so he lives uh, on his fiction, fictional Valhalla. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully expecting, him, and I'm, I'm probably jumping the gun with this when when the adaptation comes out on HBO Max. That there's going to be a bunch of uh, hashtag justice for fine. Um, I really around, I, fine's going to go viral. <laughs> yeah, fine, fine's going to be like 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 the Barb for <laughs> things for this, like Baby Yoda. Uh, yeah, like 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 like, for, yeah, like little Grogu. Yeah. Um, so my 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 first um, one one of the the genius things of this book, and I think this was. Um, part of really what got me not just the story was the Easter eggs 
that you peppered in this thing. And I don't even want to give any away just because like for those that maybe didn't read this book, I don't want to spoil this part, but like you you went from like some some pretty known, you know, references to some pretty obscure horror oh, yeah. references that oh, like yeah, only like the casuals. Yeah, only and I and I, I mentioned one to you specifically when I met you at Mahoning and, and even you were like, Wow, okay, yeah. Because, you know, there was one, I, I even told them after I was like, yo, I'm like, that was the one reference that got me the most. Was that Wait, one? which one was it again? Just remind me. It was the, it was the Dr. Decker one. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 exactly. It was like, well, I was like, dude, you know, nobody, nobody really has that love for Nightbreed as, as much as like they should. And it's such a good movie. But, but also it's such a good movie, but also like that design. Cause also I've, you know, I love the Clive Barker drawings of Decker mm -hmm. and the mask and everything. Mm -hmm. It's so iconic, you know? Um, and that it's, you know, Cronenberg, like, it's yeah, so, right. top of that. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he's the ultimate um, besides, besides Michael Caine and dressed to kill spoiler alert. Um, yeah. he's like the <laughs> ultimate evil psychiatrist or therapist. He, yeah. he really is. He's such a bastard. He plays it like to the T. Yeah. Um, well, and also a lot of those names and Easter eggs sprung up because when I was doing copy edits, I was down at my mom's place during the second wave of the pandemic because she was having some health issues. And I was like kind of just trapped there because we, she has a lung condition. We couldn't go outside or anything. And I was like, right. you know, I should just make every single name in this book a reference. And I was like, all the cops will be cops from the appropriate movies. The doctors will be doctors from as close as I can. Victims will be victims. Um, and the weirdest thing doing that was when I was going through cast lists for victims, I would be like looking at IMDb and fan wikis and credit lists and when I could find scans of VHS boxes, things like that. Um, and how many people get killed in slashers and either have one name or no name, like, you know, cheerleader in shower or you know like paramedic and it's like god these people die and they don't even get a name that's right. in real life that's brutal and not i call them far. the human fodder yeah but also it's not too far off of reality like you know we all know Jeffrey Dahmer's name, but we can't really name any of his victims right yeah. and right. i find that so right. incredibly sad yeah well when there's a school shooting you know They've, they've really made it clear with mass shootings. I mean, there have been studies that you don't show a picture of the perpetrator, you don't use their name, you name the victims, and we're just starting to do that now, and it's barely, you know? But, like, yeah. I'm glad to start seeing it, but it took forever to do that, and we've known for a decade that that's the way mm -hmm. you're supposed to do it. It's just healthier and better. Um, so, yeah, I always find that so weird. Um, anyway. Um, my my second question was um, we mentioned her earlier in the um, in the episode. How did Adrian King get involved with doing the audio book? So Adrian, that was really lucky on uh, for me. Um, so I wanted to get quotes like blurbs from Final Girls to sort of use to sell the book, and I you know one of the places this this book sort of had two real life origins, and one is having seen the beginning or read about in Fango Friday the 13th part two and being so sort of like taken aback. I was eight years old. And even then mm. I was like, what the hell? They just, she went through all that stuff and they just killed her. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was nightmare on Elm street three with, you know, when suddenly Heather Langenkamp shows up as a therapist for this group therapy for these kids being tortured by or attacked by Freddie. And I was like, and this is what Sean was saying, you know, 
there that's that is on screen this therapy group for basically final girls and it's like and i was like oh my god people from a horror movie can help people in another horror movie and so those kind of rattle around in my head i was like okay i'm gonna get blurbs from final girls and that and obviously a friend of mine ted uh had adrian's email so i reached out and she was kind of wary about it she has a, a complicated relationship with that time in her life i was and, gonna uh, bring that up and then see if you knew about that yeah because yeah. i interviewed her on my on my old podcast and we went into great detail about why her role in part two was yeah. what it was and why and and how ultimately she regretted that it actually had to come to that because of what happened that you're about to talk yeah. about. Yeah. And so she was very wary about it. And I sent her the book and she read it, put it down, read it, and then really tore through it. And she really loved it. And and really, she felt like it really spoke to her. Um, and, 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 and because of her, and she was very, like you guys said, we, we had this long phone call and I, I kind of told her about, you know, being eight and seeing her in Fango and, what an impact that made. She told me about her experience with Friday and Friday too, and, and her and her stalker and all that stuff, and and really generously gave me permission to sort of talk about that in this show I did, the Final Girl Support Group show, um, and 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 I sent her that script to look at and everything, and she was really good with it and really kind about it and, and really generous, and you know when they were looking for a narrator, not even for the UK for the US audiobook for the UK audiobook. Um, I don't have final approval, but everyone wants you to be happy. And I'm kind of cranky. I'm always like, can't we get someone who sounds older or different? Because you get a lot of really professional, really good voiceover artists who know what they're doing. But I always want someone a little crooked, like a little off. A little choker. raw. Yeah, a little more raw. And so I was like, you know, like there are a lot of people out there who do voice work who, who come from a different perspective than a professional voice actor. It's like, like there's like Adrian King. I named a couple of others. And they emailed Adrian and were like, you want to do it? And she called me. She's like, is this for real? And I was like, oh, I don't know. So <laughs> then they were like, well, she needs to do an audition first. So we arranged for her to do this audition. And it was kind of complicated to set up because she lives out in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. And um, she did it. And they were a little bit on the fence. And I was like, you know, I can see pros and cons here. But I think the pros way outweigh any cons. And Adrian's an actor. Like you can give her notes. And I actually talked to her on the phone. I was like, you know, you've got to realize this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like your emotional intensity level, really, you, you, you really got to like be in there. You got to, you know, it, this is going to be a lot about your stamina and your emotional stamina. And, and she like got it right away and dove in and her, her recording for the book is so good. I mean, it's so amazing. And when the American audiobook people heard it, they were like, oh, we're, we're not going to do it. So we're using, we're licensing this from the UK people, which really rarely happens. Um, but she was that good. I mean, like, I, I was really blown away. And I'm always, to me, honestly, like, um, people who are final girls in real life, who this is a part of their life, share a lot of qualities with the, the movie Final Girls. They did something when they were a teenager that seemed pretty normal, going to a summer camp, going to high school, um, going to be in a movie, and wound up being in a relationship with that for the rest of their life. And a lot is expected of them emotionally and physically in these parts. And the budgets are low, and they're doing a lot of stunts. They're doing a lot of work. It is a very raw experience. And, you know the resilience they show and and really for Adrian to have gone through everything she had and to just keep going 
and to just be so incredibly generous and kind, and especially in regards to this book and, and doing the audio book, I, I'm in awe, like really in serious awe. Um, I guess that's me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That comes um, back to you. Well, okay. I I'm trying not to just sit here and gush over it. I, I have a tendency to say that beforehand and then I do it and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I did it. Um, yeah, I, I would love to actually hear that audiobook. I don't usually do audiobooks because, um, I'm one of those people that's like a physical media person. And I, I like that, like touch and I like the smell of books. I, I don't know what that makes me. I'm, I'm just weird. Um, and, and holding books. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just fucking weird. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I like the way that this starts. And I think, you know, with any piece of fiction, you have to start with something and that it, and it is pretty much like a rule. This is one of those rules that is a rule. If you cannot grab the reader right there in that first little, you know, prologue or, or just couple, you know, couple of pages, they're not going to engage. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like for me, I'll give it more time than that because I had to study just really a lot of literature, but you know, so I'll give it longer than that. But, you know, for me, I didn't need that. Like you you immediately put me in this situation where I'm like, OK, what's up with this? And uh, so I thought that that was engaging right away. And even though like they're all so different, I like and, and this is me and doing what I do on the show. I jump to the end, even though they're all so different they're and they're fighting and there's, you know, there's all these different you know, issues, there's drama, like, we don't really need this, we want to forget, you know, some people, and that's like, no, no, we need this, but it's more about, I need this. But mm -hmm. I didn't really want to say it like that, like, we we made it, you know, we're doing this thing. And, um, you know, and, and at the end, them coming together, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and implementing absolutely everything that made them what they they had been previous that we had not seen them in that state it was all referred to in the past tense as like well here's this rule and and we've made and we agree upon this and we've talked this out <clears throat> and uh you know just going through this emotional journey and they're just like you know when they get mad at her they're all mad at each other it's usually really petty but they're always saying you're not really a final girl lynette and you you know, that's a question you carry for so long till she's ready to reveal that to the reader, mm -hmm. like right. what her experience was. And when I found out, like, it, you know, you find it out in pieces because, you know, they arrest her and you're like, what? Yeah. What? And then to find out, you know, like the, the little things that we find out and it's like, oh, Lynette, you sneaky little. OK, why didn't you tell me this? <laughs> right. Unreliable narrator. And, and yeah, that wasn't your intent. And it was absolutely it works. It works so well because we learn things as we need to learn them. And I think if you are a guarded person, even if like you're not, it's not like, you know, a necessarily like. Like I said, it's not technically an unreliable narrator, but she's not telling us everything. They're all right. like, well, somebody's writing a book. And you're like the last person you would think ends up being the person who wrote the book. Yeah. Right. And when right. you find out that's why she wants to go back to her apartment after all that shit, you're like, oh, my God, Lynette, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? But at the end, 
and and all of it's you know the horrible things that happen that that everything that the support group was about ended up just like instantly in place and mm-hmm. they got each other's back and everything's forgotten and and they you know they'll die for each other they'll they'll do anything and that's what it's really about like this is what we were preparing for this is what the support group really was about and mm-hmm. I, and, and you know cuz right off the bat we lose who i think would have probably been my favorite character um oh, yeah but she was probably the best person to lose because it was so detrimental to everyone right um in the group right and you know like because she was just like the one that had it best together was dealing with the best you're like okay you know what you're gonna do these movies you're gonna fucking pay me because this is my story and like you know just wants to do kindness and and so yeah it was the person that had to be sacrificed i'm like ah too bad but you never forget about her and they don't either and um so yeah i guess that's not any question that's just sort of more me discussing it yeah but you actually put your finger on something it's interesting because one of the things i was really aware of with this book um is that you know one of the jokes people always make is the black character dies first in a mm-hmm. horror movie and even <laughs> though statistically it's not always true you know it's, it's you know, people have looked at it and, um but it, but it is something that's true a, a noticeable number of times and i realized with this book that that's also what happens and so as i was writing it and rewriting it i wanted to make adrian a real presence um and and Very have her so. be a presence without having like you know obi-wan kenobi's ghost show up to give advice right. um but one of the things i realized in writing the book is there's a big part of this book happening which is about adrian winning uh which is you know as i wrote it i realized one of the reasons the group stuck together for so long is adrian held it together because lynette's not done Lynette's not there and that she is the reason Lynette gets through this she's the reason I mean it all takes place at her camp it all you know the things that keep Lynette going are the things Adrian prepped her for and that by the end of the book Adrian uh, sorry Lynette is in the same place Adrian is which is no one left behind like no one's left behind we will save everyone and that's definitely you know in the beginning she's like if it's me or you it's going to be you and i think by the end lynette feels like if it's me or you it'll be me that's my choice and it was definitely a growth arc it was it was an important thing to happen for the character and so in a way something that really went on behind the scenes with this book as i wrote it was that a lot of it became about this almost master plan of adrian's to get lynette to bring the last one of them home right yeah right even and it, and, it works yeah. it works oh good and yeah because adrian like right off the bat i'm like oh my god like she's just like wonderful she's handling this and and everybody else just wants to kind of forget about it i mean well in the case of like heather like she has her own ways but yeah you know of not handling it but um but it's still like always lynette's the 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 weakest link yeah. and but Adrian, even in death, like she had already, like the tools were there and the memory, you never forget about Adrian. It's never yeah. forgotten. And I think that's so important. And you did that so, so well. So that okay. I, I just wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll hand it off to whoever would like to speak next. Erica? I was, okay, or go Nico? ahead, Erica. Or I have a question. 
I want to save for later because it's not directly related to this particular book. Okay. Oh, okay. So then I'll, I'll okay. ask mine then. Um, so as I mentioned a little while ago, we know that um, this is about to be adapted into an HBO Max um, series, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and this was already optioned before it even hit bookshelves and before right. it even hit Amazon. Um, and now I know the Southern Book Club is going to be an Amazon Prime series, and My Best Friend Exorcism is going to be a Prime exclusive movie as well. Yeah, Best Friend's Exorcism's wrapped, and it's coming out next year. And actually, Southern Book Club's moved. Um, it's now at HBO. Uh, oh, okay, so they so got yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those three are in, in horror store, I'm actually... Um, we, I wrote a script and it's got producers and we're looking for a director right now. So um, as a feature. So yeah, and actually one of the things I was gonna say uh, when Candy was, was talking about Adrian is one of the nice things about doing a series with this is that everyone wants, you know, to give each of these women sort of a moment in the sun, you know what I mean? So Adrian's gonna have a lot more screen time. You know, they all are. That's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. My, 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 question, my, my question is, you know, because like you're, you're still kind of, you're you're still building up like like your your bibliography with everything and and yet already like all of your books are, are like beyond impressive and you're already i i feel okay. like you're already light years ahead of of a lot of you know authors that are either coming out or have been out already doing this like you just kind of have like your your finger on the pulse and like you're um you know cooking with fire here man everything's firing on all cylinders with this but Thanks. what was it like for you knowing that you know, three of your now now going to be four. It looks like, but but three of these are, are about to be adapted. And the fact that you know my final girl support group was already optioned before it even yeah. went on sale. No, it was. It's really nice. Um, it takes a lot of work. Like I'm not doing this alone. I've got an agent and a lawyer and managers and um, who all really work hard. Um, it's really nice. Um, one of the things that sort of that I really like about it. I mean, ultimately for me, the books are what drives everything. And so the books come first, but it's really fun to see other people's take on this stuff. And for my characters to like go off to college and like have experiences. Um, and the other thing that's been really nice about it is, you know, I mean, um, and I say this not to, to brag, but to do the opposite, but you know, uh, 2020, end of 20, actually 2020 was the first year I paid off my credit card debt, you know, that I had racked up writing and paying bills with credit cards. Um, I didn't have health insurance for the last four years. You know, I finally have health insurance again. Um, you know, that stuff is really, really nice to, you know, but, but there were a lot of, of thin years before then. And so it's, it's really nice for this stuff to be working. And um, I think someone, I can't remember who, I think it was Alan Moore, uh, and I'm not comparing myself, don't worry. But he said, you know, someone asked him if magic was real. And he's like, yeah, I think things up and I write them and money appears. And I use that to feed my kids. That's magic. I turn words into food. And I'm like, yeah, in a way that is really this weird process. Yeah. Um, so it's, John Carpenter there. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, I'm very lucky. This is my job and it's very nice to be doing this job and not be worried about the rent. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely. a lot like how, how Quentin, Quentin Tarantino's always said, you know, when it comes to like, 
Academy Award time or, or, or awards time. He he doesn't care about winning anything for being a director. He he cares more about the writing. The writing is more what he cares about. And I and I kind of got that vibe now when you said that that you know above all else, forget the adaptations, forget anything that's going to come after. It's the fact that that it's about the pure love of the writing and the, the pure love of like these these books existing and these characters, you know, coming to life to to the reader. To the person yeah. that's actually holding the book, or or Kindle, whatever it may be, or listening to the audio book, like the, you you get like like a pure enjoyment out of that. I mean, I was again, I don't mean to keep bringing it up, but I was there at the Mahoning when when you were there, and I saw your line, and it was long, yeah. and yeah. people people were just people were just you know, and rightfully so, like walking because I you know because I my my roommate actually helps. He builds some of the sets there. He he helps with his brother does you know. They, they do stuff there. So we were kind of like, we're kind of hanging around your line for a little bit only because like, you know, we were helping out with other stuff, but like we were hearing people walking away going, wow, that was like one of the nicest experiences I've ever had with somebody who was meeting <laughs> and, Grady Hendrix. And that's and not like, usually the case. Yeah. Well, and I, I really, and I, yeah. I really feel like no. though people come out, they're excited. Like that's we awesome. Are. Like, I mean, it's, it's people leave their house. Why do you leave your house, man? You've got everything you want there. And it's like, they go through the trouble. Like I'm, I'll bring my A game. Yeah. yeah and everybody walked away so great. satisfied. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I, I can tell you just from, from going to different, and I'm sure you've gone to conventions yourself as a, you know, over, over oh, yeah. the years. Um, I, I, I can tell you now, um, I, I would absolutely put you like in the, in the category of, of the Felissa Rose, of the Matthew Lillard, of probably one of the nicest, most like just chill, laid back experiences oh, that thanks. I've ever had with with meeting a, a celebrity at, at one of these things. And honestly, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, not only do you, um, you know, obviously do more more book tours like like you've done, but I, I, right. I woun't be surprised if you start getting booked for conventions soon even. That would be awesome. No, I mean, one of the things I love and, and you know, many things sucked about the pandemic and it's still ongoing, but one of the things that sucked is I really like getting out on the road and meeting people. Like I like hearing their stories, man. When I got to do this little Midwestern thing where I drove it recently, um, it was like, Oh my God, I got so many good stories from people. I got someone, I got the greatest thing. I was just in Charleston doing an event and this woman uh, had uh, a notebook instead of a book to sign. And I was like, oh, is this like a notebook you use or whatever, you know? And she told me this amazing story where she'd gone to buy a book at Barnes and Noble to bring it to get signed and everything. And her boyfriend proposed to her in public. Oh. And she got so freaked out that she like <laughs> was like, no. And she like dropped <laughs> the book and like ran. And like it had just happened. And like I was amazed because I, I I talked to her for a really long time. Because I was like, I never taught her. You always think when someone does one of these public proposals, they've really thought it through. And she was like, no, that isn't, no, it was not thought through. And, <laughs> oh, great. and I felt so bad for her. Like, but also she was really upfront about the story. She's like, oh, you can tell that. I mean, she was, she was great with it, but I was just like, wow, that is a really badass thing to be put on the spot like that in public to still keep your wits around you and not just feel like peer pressured into saying yes. Right. And to be able to like reflect on it and be like, wow, that was weird. Yeah. 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 She's one of the, like, I want her 
like in a nuclear <laughs> missile silo. I trust her to keep her with her. And you know, <laughs> that is so wonderful to hear because, you know, I, I think particularly Erica and I, we have told so many embarrassing celebrity encounters that we've had, like things that I had planned out. And it was, you know, not because the person was mean, but because like what Bruce Campbell does and my, our son's name is Ash, okay? Okay. Big Evil Dead fans. And so I had everything planned out. I was going to say to Bruce Campbell, I get up there. And what he, he he even says this in all of his books, like fans expect me to be loud and embarrassing and insult them. Well, I wasn't expecting that. I'm a delicate little flower. I'm I'm fragile. And I go up there and I was going to tell him, hey, I need my son Ash and I'm a big fan. And I had put on too much hand cream and he yelled it really loud. What is all over you? And I was like, can somebody please mercy kill me? Um, <laughs> but like, I'm hoping. And and the joke was about that was like, maybe I was a, a dinner story. Like this girl came to me, slimed up with hand cream. Nah, and, I, and trust he, me. I'm sure he seemed weirder than that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But like, you know, you want to at least think like maybe I was a funny story, but that isn't even my worst one. But Erica has some good ones, too. But I mean, it's just like and but, but we also there are a lot of negative and, um, you know, there's some people I've met uh, one in particular. You guys know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name him. He has a bad reputation. And his and because of that, every time we see him at cons, uh, the big one in the Midwest, because we are in Indiana, uh, is a horror hound and his table's always deserted and mm-hmm. because of his bad reputation. But I've never had a bad experience with him and I've met him many times. Right. And it's just sort of like, you know, but there are those people that you meet that will take the time that find you interesting and that know, like when I watched the Scream Queen documentary about Mark Patton, I said, I get to meet this guy. He gets it because he was going into a con and he's like, when I go in there, I'm not Mark Patton. I'm Mark Patton, the movie star. And these fans are coming to me because I was in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because I'm an icon in queer horror. And that is who I'm going to give them. And I said, he gets it. He gets it because they're not going to meet. You know, most likely we don't meet these people ever again. Yeah. And also, you know, I just like hearing people's stories, man. Like, I love it. Yeah. I just like when I was just in Missouri, man, there was a a cannibalism case that was unfolding there that I was getting all the dirt on from people who were like, (laughs) because they were like local crime buffs and like, you know, and they were keeping abreast of it. So it was like, um, you know, it's, it's so much fun to go out there and meet people. Um, And so it's, it's cool that they're psyched to meet me because Trust me, I've got four older, uh, three older sisters. It's not always the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so no, I, I love doing that. That that to me is is a part of the job I really like. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's a completely different well, like skill me. set. But like, like it's, that story it's we told about Stephen King and giving his blood. Uh, yeah, he started bleeding signing oh, books yeah, and yeah, accidentally yeah, exactly. left a bloody thumbprint, and then everybody won a bloody thumbprint, and he made sure they got it. And I'm like, this dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this also ties in with uh, last year when um there was the um the same event that you came to the Camp Blood. Yeah. yeah. The year prior, um, Felissa was was here for that. I had to work our table with her, like to help her out. Seven and a half hours. This woman did not get up to use the bathroom or nothing from five 
from 5:30 until 1:15 a.m. She wow. was she was signing. You worked hard. She is wow. constantly. I did not stop and amazing. spent like spent like a half hour with each person. To and the line was like as long as yours was. Yeah, yeah. No, and, that makes me and feel lazy. She, but but no, but what was pretty cool was that she got to watch the ending with everybody in line of Sleepaway Camp. Oh, nice. So everybody was like kind of freaking out, like cheering yeah. around for that. But you know. Again, everybody walked away with like, oh my God, this was such a great experience. The same with you. Like, even like the staff at the Mahoney was like, oh my God, he's so nice. He's so very humble, so very like friendly. I wish I could have come out for it, but it's like a 10 hour drive. We made that 10 hour drive in July to meet Joe Bob, which was a a pilgrimage I needed to make since I was 18. And it was everything I wanted it to be. And I was there in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I, I have a spine condition. So I just had my surgery. So I could be able to go there. And this man accommodated not just me, all the people from the podcast. My husband gave us all his time, anything we asked for. And yeah, just gave it. And he had to go live. And we're just taking up his time. Never, never acted any sort of, I mean, he was so kind. Yeah. And and yeah. that's a story that like I never thought I was going to get a happy ending to. You know, I was waiting since I was like, 18. That's a long way. And I'm 42. <laughs> you meet to him tell him like, something in person. Push you over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get <laughs> out of here. What I expected <laughs> with the luck that I have, but it ended up being worth it. And I, I, I definitely would like to, to make more trips out there, but it's, it's just the long drive. And yeah, it's a long and when you told us how wonderful his it, experience it really was is. with you, I was like, wow. Okay. That's wonderful. Yeah. Here. Well, I, I, I kind of fell in love with the. Oh, sorry, Eric. I didn't mean to talk over oh, you. Oh, sorry. No, go oh, ahead. No, no. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I hope to make it to one of your presentations in person. Like, I had to find a couple of them on YouTube, and they are just so engaging and hilarious. And, oh, yeah. No, they, they were all good. jealous. When they were all jealous, when I was like, oh, I, I got to see it live. So, yeah, it's we're like, I, okay. <laughs> I, I used to be terrified at the Midwest because I grew up in South Carolina and states without a coastline freaked me out. And then I did especially Indiana. We don't have any water, any hills, nothing, corn. Flat. I've never been to Indiana. But like in 2016, I did a lot of Midwest for a book tour and I really like liked it. Like it's spooky, man. Y'all have scarecrows and corn mazes. And <laughs> I really that big unforgiving sky. It's so I'm trying to do more home. Midwest. Yeah. Hopefully you come to Indiana, but how I describe it to everybody, there's Indianapolis. There's the suburbs, which we migrated to for better schools for the children. And then there's farms. Yeah. A lot of farms. <laughs> and yeah, there's farms. Um, yeah, Broad Ripple's part of Indy. And um, yeah, the, yeah, I want you to get out of the burbs. You're you're stuck in corn and there's no hills. We are in tornado alley. There is nothing here. Yeah. Oh wow. Pretty much same here in Nebraska, yeah. too. Yeah, so we're the we're uh, us and Erica, we are the Midwestern people. So when we all did the <laughs> pilgrimage to uh the mahoning you know uh nico lives right right not too far away it's, from it's an hour it's an hour from me so like it's right oh, there okay. it's like a hop skip and jump on, so I, he, I, I on the turnpike your 10 hour drive oh no not, not me I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm from new york and new jersey originally i grew up in new york city like in the bronx and i grew up yeah. in new jersey but i live in i live in scranton now but mahoning is only just an, an hour away so you yeah know, and, and so are other people they're they're uh new york uh or atlanta we have and we have one southern person who lives in atlanta but he's from jersey so mm-hmm. he has a mixture of a southern accent and a jersey accent <laughs> so just just picture a southern tony soprano yeah yeah well, no, yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> and, and when he drinks actually. one of them gets amplified and you don't know which one is going to be that night 
because yeah. we usually are drinking and vibing whatever we're doing because we we're we're like the the punk rock redheaded stepchild of podcasts Chaos. See, well I, yeah i appreciate y'all keeping it pg tonight yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't said behavior. motherfucker yet. Well, now I did. Well, now you did. You did. I meant my quota, now. but yeah, like I, I found out that that's the word I say the most, and I'm like, oh no, do I really? And then everybody's like, yes. And I had to, Fucking I had to really blue. reflect on that for a while. Like, oh. Well, before we before we get too sidetracked, I oh, I do have I do okay, have yes. two quick <laughs> questions for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, this. one of them one of them just popped <laughs> into my head. Um. We you had talked about you know how much you enjoy meeting people and hearing their stories, and you had mentioned earlier about how you write your characters and stuff. So as a writer, do you when you talk to people and you hear their stories, do you always like keep like a little nugget of that in the back of your mind? And like um, at some I point, keep, does that like maybe kind of fashion itself into a a character at some point? A little bit, but not much. Like when I meet people sort of doing like book stuff, it, it doesn't so much. Um, and I think that's a large part of that is because I'm on when I'm doing that. So I'm not really getting to watch them as much. One thing I do steal all the time, though, from people I meet at events are clothes and hair. Um, it's very weird to write characters and be like, oh, God, I need to know what everyone in this room is wearing. And I'll often like write down what people are wearing, just to sort of like keep current like how else am i going to know what people out in the world are wearing outside new york unless i'm meeting them and seeing what they're doing you know um so clothes and hair and makeup i steal uh jewelry uh that kind of stuff um i don't really steal character stuff but i probably should <laughs> and, and i know that like every single writer you know, um, has the one thing that is their biggest struggle. Now, mine is dialogue. So I listen to how people talk. But I, you know, I like to study language anyway, but I listen because otherwise all characters talk like me, which means they say dude and motherfucker a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> not, not everybody talks like me. So I have to be careful of that. So right. what would you say is yours? Oh, blocking, getting people indoors, out of doors, into cars, mm -hmm. out of cars, across rooms. Man, I, I, I gotta, I gotta do a find and replace on the word turn in this book I'm wrapping <laughs> yeah. up right now. I use the word turn so many times; it's ridiculous. Yeah, I actually do have another question. So I know you're you're working on on the current book. It's um how to sell your your haunted house. Yeah. Um, I actually just found out last night, and again, I'm embarrassed to say that you have another book coming out in January. It's a collaboration. Um, these fists break uh, bricks. Yeah, and that's actually you can order that now from Mondo, the publisher. But then I think I think it's going to be on like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's on in, Amazon uh, now, January. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go oh, good. Um, yeah. There's there was a huge supply chain thing with that because it got printed in Korea and ships, blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, so that's um, a history of kung fu movies coming to America. Um, this friend of mine, Chris Pajali, is this big film historian. He has a huge collection of posters and ads and all this stuff. And he really liked paperbacks from hell, this book I did about the horror paperback boom of the 70s and 80s. And he was like, oh, what about, oh, thank you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> see, the, see, the, see that foil embossed cover shine. Um, and uh, Chris was like, do you think we could do something like that with this? And so I really looked at it, was like, you know, there is a story here with kind of a beginning, middle and end. And sure, and it took us a long time. It took us a couple of years to write because, um, even though the story kind of starts in March of 73 when Five Fingers of Death uh, the plays, brothers. Yeah, 
plays in the U.S. and it's the first dubbed movie to be in mainstream American theaters. There was a lot before then, and we didn't want to just say it mm -hmm. sprung up out of nowhere. And a lot of it came before it was, you know, immigrant stories and Asian American stories and Black history and martial arts in America and Chinatown movie circuit and all this stuff that really like made that ground fertile. So that when Five Fingers of Death dropped, it exploded rather than fizzled. Um, and so that was that was hard to do. And then you know we did a lot of interviews with it and stuff. So and there are some amazing people involved and you know even people we didn't get to talk about that much like um joan deanda and, and um is she was this um sort of radical feminist lesbian filmmaker and she and her partner made these hardcore or softcore porn films and like constantly got targeted by the FBI. They founded this like feminist film collective. And then they moved into Kung Fu movies because like they couldn't handle the FBI like wearing a wire right. and coming in their offices all the time. And then they went into children's films later and they just have this amazing <laughs> sort of like story and very little of it made it into the book, but it was like so good. Well, yeah. I'm gonna earmark that for me too uh, I, for the yeah. research in. Yeah. Um, now, see, I, I actually grew up, like I said, I grew up in the Bronx, so like my, my exposure to, to the martial arts kung fu flicks was on, on Channel 5 on Fox. They used to oh, have yeah. a program every Saturday drive afternoon in. called the Drive-In drive Theater. Yep. But my, my main mainstream exposure to kung fu, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, which you know, features prominently in this good. book. Good. Yeah. Now, now. I, I was going to buy it anyway, but now you fully sold me because that, that's yeah. Amazing. Well, the last so. dragon's really interesting because um, that was kind of signaled the end, beginning of the end. You know, um, for a lot of these movies, it was this big mainstream crossover movie. It did okay, it, and you know, but the sequel never really came together. They were never able right. to sort of capitalize on it. And one of the things that's really interesting is. Um, in Philly on Easter weekend, when it came out eighty five, or it might have been. 86. 85. Yeah, it no, but 86, yep. when, the Easter weekend of 86, but I think it was actually okay. 85, Easter weekend 85. Um, in Philly, there was, uh, you know, tons of kids were out and a bunch of kids were coming out of a theater that was showing Friday the 13th, gosh, I think four, and, um, and Last Dragon. And there was this whole rush of kids who wanted to sneak in because the show was sold out. And it turned into this scuffle and it turned into the, and the police came down on it hard and it turned into this really big riot, basically. Mm. Um, and there were all these press conferences about how this Kung Fu movie had made all these kids violent. And the, the subtext was this Kung Fu movie starring black people made all these black uh, kids violent. Yeah, yeah. And oh God. people really remember, I mean, there was a thing after that where if you were showing The Last Dragon, you got these warnings, like sometimes the local police would wanna know, your manager would be like, we've heard there's violence, we need to let the, and that laid the groundwork where a year or so later when Colors came out, you know, the movie about the guys, there was yeah. a big police presence and there's been boys in the hood. Um, yep. And there was, that was the beginning of this thing where black movies that were really playing to black audiences were regarded as trouble. And that was really, and you know, and movie theater owners were like, we don't want trouble. Why would we show one of these violent movies right. that makes people crazy? And so it was this really weird, unpleasant thing. And it wasn't The Last Dragon's fault, you know, but it was like, it, and you know, and people really tried to, the theater owner was even like, guys, 
the last dragon played here for two weeks without an incident before that happened. He's like, exactly. well, he's they like, probably also didn't care about that. Did not care. He's like, also Friday the 13th part four was actually what people were coming out of. That was the movie that was a problem. Didn't care about that. It was the black movie with of the black not. audience. Um, but I mean, so it, it, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it did go on to find its audience. I mean, it's, oh, it yeah. is such a huge cult, cult it, it's hit now. It's a very and, cult thing. And I, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, honestly, it made I, I'm gonna, a household name. Right. And I was actually going to yeah. say so when, when I was putting together my, my horror con, um, he was one of the people that I reached out to directly about being a guest. And five year old me was freaking the fuck out. Oh, the fact yeah. That I was talking to Bruce Leroy on the phone. Out of anybody that I talked to on the phone during, you know, the the planning of that convention he was and he didn't end up making it because um something ended up happening where he um had to do your comic-con instead or something which was totally under sent me an autograph to like kind of like you know hey you look you know you're a fan of the movie here i'm sorry i couldn't come but here um i told him like we're having a conversation and i had to stop him and he's like you okay and i'm like listen i'm like I've been very professional up to this point. I'm like, five-year-old <laughs> me on the inside is freaking out. I'm like, this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And the fact that I'm actually talking to you is like surreal right now. And he started laughing. He was like, you know, wait, he's like, how old are you again? And I told him, I was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you're up in the eighties, right? I'm like, yeah, New York. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He goes, you know how many guys your age? And he's like, he's like, you're, um, He's like, what are you? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and Mexican. He's like, yeah. He's like, do you know how many guys like of uh, all types of ethnicities, especially like like the you know urban ethnicities of like yeah. the, you know black or or Hispanic? He's like, tell me this daily when they see me walking around Manhattan and like you know fawn all over me when they see me. And I'm like, I could imagine because I'm doing it now over the phone. Yeah, dude, <laughs> You're not even in front of me right now, and I'm freaking out that I'm talking to you. Well, yeah, and you know it's funny. Like he he's not the best actor. But he has a lot of charisma, man. Like, and actually people who made that movie said that's one of the reasons they chose it. They're like, there were better actors who auditioned, but he had real presence, like a real screen presence, a lot of charisma. He lights up the screen. Like that is the smile that that does it really. Yeah. And like, he has like like, like childlike innocence. I'm always amazed he didn't go on to more because he really, he had a relationship with the camera. There's a lot of things that were not appreciated at the time that have had a renaissance, you know, um, speaking just in like the horror genre, but I'm going to get back to, you know, um, martial art movies in just a sec, but like in the horror genre, you know, it's, it's like a uh, Halloween three, like it was forbidden in my house. Cause my mom's like, it's not a Michael Myers story. And I'm like, I think it's the best fucking one. I I'd rather watch it than any other fucking ones. But, um, I see now I'm not PG anymore. Um, I, I was doing so well, but it's really hard for me. Um, We're still anyway. in the PG 13. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not using it in a sexual way, so it qualifies. Okay, right. so yeah, but that's that's the thing, and 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 you yeah. know, we we made it our goal, and for the for a year and a half, our our most downloaded episode was Night Living Dead ninety. I'm like, I'm gonna make this fucking thing happen. I'm gonna make this happen, and we did. Yeah. We did the damn thing, and and that's happened. That's when Savini released his book about that was his first directorial um yeah. you know debut that was his thing and so like there's like, all these renaissances with all these things that people are like well it didn't get enough appreciation at a time and and this being our season of carpenter a lot of carpenter films tanked and it mm-hmm. surprises yeah. me because they're fantastic and that was that's been the theme of this season but what was interesting we are all in a group chat we talk every day um all of us on the podcast and 
um, when this book that you guys were discussing, um, what is uh, the bricks? Uh, the, 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 the fish that break yeah, bricks. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah, my brain can only hold like so much thought, and it's not much. Anyway, um, it just goes fast. I hyperactive or something but yeah so when that got posted like we were all interested and now several uh i mean like that's one of the few things like within we all love horror but we all have our subgenres. and then from there like we all have other interests like mine is classic film but mm -hmm. one thing and you know two of the uh, yeah mac and uh rob who are not here tonight they have a um an action podcast okay so you know action is a is a good crossover with horror and mm -hmm. um but the one thing the other genre that all of us can agree on is we all like martial arts films yeah it's we weird all do. It, it, yeah it does cross over in a weird way but it's funny you know when you're talking about uh, night of the living dead the 1991 it's interesting to see movies like you're saying the carpenters weren't appreciated blade runner wasn't appreciated although very quickly after it came out blade runner was appreciated um yeah. got but, kind of a cult thing yeah but it's interesting to see that go around like i think definitely night of living dead 90s one halloween three is another um i'm trying to i just had one on the tip of my tongue that i felt like no one gave the time of day. i feel like slumber party massacre is getting a lot more respect these days and it deserves it it's yeah, such a good movie yeah, it, um, we did a double feature episode on it on the first two fun um but also like you know it's it's um really been weird to see carnival of souls become and i think a lot of that has yeah. to be in the criterion collection but with it suddenly being this like you know it's this american classic now and that's a movie no one saw no one when it came it. out no yeah, way. i mean it was, it was like, kind of whatever. like one of those when you buy that when you see at walmart in those bins and 10 yeah. horror movies for five dollars and carnival of souls is always on there but now and that's something i noticed too now everybody's taking it very very seriously yeah and i'm like i also think for me one hmm. of the ones that really got me as a kid growing up was i would always see frame grabs in books of martin the romero martin which was another movie that kind of from what i understand disappeared and um, like came and went. And yeah. now Martin is like, I mean, people have seen it a little bit more. It's going to get a Blu-ray, but like, I can't imagine that's not going to become like, people well, think that's his best yeah. movie. Um, but Spoiler, I we're, we're going to do it, but oh, um, good. coming up, because, uh, you know, like uh, as Rob, one of the people on the podcast says, I'm a Romero snob. But uh, he's mm -hmm. he's a big Martin fan. And, and we discussed that at length. Uh, it's great. I, yeah, it's yeah Romero I could do that all day I should stop <laughs> I just think he's great but yeah that well, movie, you know day I, is day is getting its day in the sun I mean I, so I love that's, about my, that that's my 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 favorite of the of the and when we day did day of the dead it, it's also in one of our it's in our top five downloads um yeah. and which, which pleases me even though like dawn if I had if I was pressed it dawn for nostalgic reasons and, and for other like I yeah. love dawn but day Romero himself says only that he's like everybody loves night living dead a lot of people love dawn of the dead but only the real trolls love day of the dead <laughs> well, and know, I'm like yeah I am a troll because I not only in the early 90s yeah it was popular to trash it yeah and, and the thing was is like that movie is like a masterpiece not just for romero but it's savini's best work mm, we've got yeah. joe Pilato. like when i was a kid it was so like the fun of that movie was hating joe Pilato, 
and 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 I appreciate you know we're always team Bub in that one. But the thing is, is as I've gotten older, I watch it just for Joe Pilato. Like that performance, like everything was firing on all cylinders. I'm like, why is everybody so slow about this? Like this has always been so fantastic. This is this is a mm-hmm. gift. This is a, a joy, a treasure. It's gory. It's great. It's wonderful. It's everything. So yes, we love Day of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion, that's my summary. <laughs> I have a paperbacks from hell related question oh, yeah, yeah. too. Um, so yeah, this was actually the first book of yours that I um, discovered and Gateway I love it. Yeah. Like as a kid, I'd see these like paperback, you know, pulp uh, novels in the stores and like the covers, yeah, also freaked me out, but I was obsessed with them. Um, but my parents wouldn't, al- you know, wouldn't allow me to read or watch horror, you know, as a child or in my early teens. So I uh, missed out on a lot of these books. But you actually read like something like 400 of these uh, mass market paperbacks. Yeah, for a lot. <laughs> how, how long did it take you to get through that stack of books and how did it not melt your mind? Like, I don't know. How it did melt this? my mind, unfortunately. I'm not fully healed. <laughs> um, so when I did the book, I, I read some, but I had about 10 months because it came in between two books on my contract that was pre-existing. And it kind of was like, do it now or not at all. And I was like, oh, shoot. And so I had about 10 months. And so I read 300 and something books in those 10 months. And that was just, um, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, and then since then, I've kept reading them because I got kind of addicted. Um, so I've read a lot more now because also it's like, it's fun to be rooting around and stuff like, you know, where not a lot of people are playing. Like these are all um, boxes of, paperbacks my animal attack box my killer kids box my serial killer box what's that classics heavy metal satanic panic um so that's some of them there so i just keep going so by now it's a lot more than 400 unfortunately which doesn't speak highly of my (laughs) my mental health that sounds like you're you're under what was it your graduate study thing that you did erica mine yeah well my what was that uh, well, my undergraduate honors thesis was about um, horror films. I watched like 2000 horror films. Holy for cow. That. Um, and, but the one that damaged my mind, like my <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of too. <laughs> my graduate thesis, I did this longitudinal study of paraphilic and sexually violent content in porn magazines going back to the 1950s. Holy cow. <laughs> that damaged my brain and my emotional health in so many ways like because I just of the like, quantity I of it or the subject matter um it just became so repetitive and i mean sometimes the subject matter was kind of gross even though they were fairly mainstream magazines like even playboy in the 60s and 70s had some content that now would just not fly yeah you know, like sacrificing children and like weird bestiality jokes and it was just like ew but yeah um, these mag- they, I, they kind of rotted my brain it was just so repetitive and just like but yeah and then putting all of that data into a giant spsss spreadsheet also melted my brain (laughs) i can imagine well it's funny you know um, that story i was like oh my god yeah (laughs) well it's interesting because you know the u.s we have our our rating system is voluntary but in the uk and canada it's you have everything has to be submitted which means porn has to be submitted Hmm. And oh, so wow. they actually offer mental counseling service to people doing film <laughs> classification and censorship in Canada and the UK because they're like, 
it's really hard on these people. Like it is really hard. Um, so I feel for you, man. <laughs> I, I have a question. So what, um, so besides horror and now we know martial arts, um, what other types of like films or genres do you enjoy? Like when you actually have like five minutes to yourself that you can actually catch up or like even like TV shows, like, like what is, oh. what, 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 what is, what does Grady do when he actually has time off or what does he watch? Too, so well? I don't hardly watch any TV, which just makes me feel like such a loser and a social outcast. Um, I'm trying to make my way through squid game right now. Cause everyone, I just finished it, it. Loved it, dude. I oh my gosh. So awesome. Riveted. Yeah. I'm liking it so far. Um, but that's about it. Um, the, the thing I really, really like, and this is going to sound so lame, but I'm a huge, um, if, it, if it's made in the, I, I always have nostalgia for the 80s. Um, I, I, I love a lot of 70s filmmaking. And in fact, during the pandemic, okay. I found myself watching a lot of movies from the 70s. And I realized it was, I think it was because there were close-ups of people and it like the seventies was the last era where you had close-ups of people who were made to look real. You know, they didn't look um, digital. They didn't look like they the makeup was like really. It was like a lot of close-ups, even more so than in like thirties and forties cinema. And they looked like real people. And I think I just wanted to see faces. But my sweet spot is like really thirties and forties movies. Like um, me too. Oh. You see, you said that earlier. So, like, my big treat to myself this weekend, which is so nerdy, is I got the Blu-ray of uh, Bringing Up Baby with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. That is and not I'm nerdy. That's down. amazing. I'm I, sitting I down and watching her. that with a couple of martinis to take a break nice. from finishing this book. Um, but that's my that's my real sweet spot uh, for like fun. Um, yeah. My weakness is Humphrey Bogart, but. Oh. Um, I, I, I love film noir in general. And like when you were talking and I was just thinking this while you were saying it about like, you know, the 70s films and the faces, I was thinking about the like chiaroscuro of like, you know, like the black and white. Yeah. The, the play of of just those two colors and the lighting. It's really and how everything there's not really locations that most of those were shot in two weeks based off of a play. You know, yeah. and, and we did cover the bad seed and I was like, I'm gambling on this and I'm pushing people into doing a classic because like I'm chomping at the bit. I'm freaking out. I want to talk about classics. And because um, I was originally considering doing a classic film uh, podcast and I was like, who would be on it? Um, right. Because <laughs> even at my age now, people are like, you're too young for this. And I'm like, no, 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 it's great. And I, I, I'm I'm. I'm seeing like a resurgence of love for this type of stuff, but he was anti black and white. And I'm like, I, so I started him out because I know him. I'm like, uh, let's check out this Humphrey Bogart gangster film. And he's hooked. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I love those, but like there, this, this cinema was different then. And like, I, like I said, there was no location shots hardly ever. Um, yeah. You're mostly well, in interiors with dialogue and lighting, you know? I think that's one reason I was going to 70s cinema when I wanted to see faces because 30s and 40s, people were lit to look so pretty and gauzy right. and gorgeous. And um, that, like, Vaseline on the lens for yeah. the close-ups and, you know? Although I do have to say, one, I, I went through a big pre-code kick a couple of years ago, and uh, um, yeah. one of the movies I stumbled, I mean, hardly stumbled over, it won an Oscar, but I it was new to me. And it really rocked my world. If people haven't seen it, 
but um, the 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, mm-hmm. it's Very good. astoundingly perverted and filthy. I, I couldn't get over how filthy it was and just unsavory. It was really amazing. <laughs> I, I just got him started on pre-code and I had to show him the, of course, initiation movie, which is Freaks. And, oh man, uh, I've never, I can't watch it. It's too much for uh, me. It's, it's a lot. And like, it, the fact that it, even today, it's so disturbing yeah. to people. And, you know, it's yeah. something that I'm like, you know what? We're doing that next season. And I really, I really want to talk about this movie. Like, you know, I can somehow integrate my classic movie love and my horror movie love so I can make it happen on this show so we can talk about classics sometimes. But I was actually very surprised at the reception the Bad Seed got because I didn't do any remakes. We did the 1956 one and it was a great conversation and it blew up in popularity. So I'm like, there is there's an audience for this and I'm so happy to know it. I'm so happy about that. So like so we can do our, our trashy 80s movies and our super gritty 70s and and in modern stuff but then yeah i get to do some black and white stuff so we're all happy yeah well one thing i really you know i do i do a lot of film programming and and i work with these guys subway cinema we've been doing these series for since like 2000 and one thing i really learned is people really like new stuff they're always looking for new stuff they just need someone to point them to it and say i think this is worth your while if you like X and Y, you're probably going to like this. And I think people, especially horror fans, a lot, not all, but but a lot of them, a lot of us come up short when you get past maybe 1970. And then especially like, you know, there are a few things in the 60s. I mean, you know, Peeping Tom and Psycho and a few things here and there. And then you get into the 50s and you get back further. And I think people would love to know what's there. They would still, you wouldn't have to do too much apologizing for a modern sensibility, but they could still get on that wavelength. I think I'm amazed people went for the bad seed because I love that movie, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, (laughs) I think it's so over the top and amazing. I think it's for the right reasons because to love that movie, it's for the right reasons. There's, yeah, yeah, I mean, and and it was like, it was a gamble. I was like, nobody's going to listen to this. And it blew up. And I was like, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And I think, and what I found in the podcasting realm, there's a lot of, of podcasts out there and there's a lot of horror podcasts. And during COVID, everybody had a horror podcast or a, a podcast in general. That was mm-hmm. like the time to do it. And for me, I started a little bit before that because that's when I found out about my spine is giving out on me. So I was like, yeah. I need something to do. So I started that and it was just like, everybody had a podcast, but like we have such a uniqueness, like to the point where we're almost like embarrassing sometimes. So the other ones, and we finally found a network that loves us for who we are. And um, I was like, that's the only way I will join one. I'll, I'll, I will Romero this the rest of the way. Like I, I don't need to have a network, but if we're going to have one, they can't change anything. We have what we have. And uh, yeah, we, we, one we just try to. One of us. Yeah, we'll go. Yeah, but um, yeah, exactly. And, and so like we've done so many unique things and it's, it's hard to be unique when there is so much, but at the, at the same time, it's not as hard as you think because mm-hmm. we don't, we break that formula. We, we have, you know, the hosts switch around. We have sidecasts. We have so many people on. It's like a party. It's not like a, we're going to sit down and intelligently discuss things. Not that we don't do that, 
but uh most of the time it's it's a party atmosphere and we will end up talking about something else and it, it's like we're not even talking about the movie anymore like and, and that's okay well, and that's like, what we do we do it's kind of like how we we've been discussing his book on here since what since june yeah, yeah. I, yes we've i've like we've we've somehow like the final girl support group has somehow made it into every single episode that we that we've all done together and we have because Easter it ties eggs. in yeah it's, it's, and, yeah right and and i mean we we've been singing and not again not not to blow smoke up your ass because you're on the show like we've yeah. been we've been singing we've been singing the praises of this book since it came out since we all and, and yeah the proof's so on you, there no just, i, just I so, appreciate it yeah i mean that listen word of mouth is what works with books that's about that's all right. it works so i and especially i find in the horror genre that's where you find these people that really intensely love you know the subject matter and they're looking for more they want more mm -hmm. and yeah. and like if you can make a mention of something you know we're we're loyal um horror fans are, are fanatical and loyal uh you know so they're like you mention it and you know I hope I hope somebody else did go out and read it, you know, from the time. God, that I hope so. Yeah. Absolutely. And I and I honestly like I mean, I'm old school, like like you would like pay paperbacks or what I prefer over the hardcover. I know the hardcovers are nicer, yeah. but yours, yours is one of like I had to get it on hardcover just just to be able to read it and say that I read it before it became like now it's it's becoming like such a thing now that I can be like, well, you know, throw the middle fingers up and be like, well, I was down with it before you guys were, before the HBO, <laughs> but before the HBO Max series comes out, I could be like, I was down with it before that. Exactly. You know? So yeah. I, was there I, first. I, I had to, I had to be right. And I had to be like, like back when, like when we were little kids and like when Star Wars would come out, like, oh, we have to be like the little bastard that has to go see it first and rub it in all, our, all, all of our friends' faces. This was the equivalent of that, this book where fuck you guys. I got to read it before you did. I know how this story plays out. I know how awesome this is because the guy that wrote it is beyond talented. And not only can he, you know, hold somebody's attention, the shit's like crack. Like you have to go to the next page to find out what's going on. We yeah, one more chapter for me means That's I'm going to finish the goddamn book right now. <laughs> Seriously. Hey. Like even like my, my best friend's exorcism, man, the same thing. Like it was just like, I, I told you I was at work and I, I had to get through it. Yeah. That was going to happen too. next. Yeah. Well, that and that takes me back to the second question I had earlier that that we didn't even get a chance to get to. Um, he had mentioned again the HBO Max series. Um, when you do these options for Amazon or mm -hmm. HBO Max, whatever, do you are you do you have any input into you, that more more now than I did? Um, Horror Store was going to be a TV show a long time ago, uh, and I didn't I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I just wanted to keep writing books. And my best friend's exorcism, that was a deal from a long time ago. And that was like, when I was like, eh, no, do your thing. Um, and over the years, I've changed my mind about that. And I like to be involved just because um, it really helps on these projects to have someone around who's sort of like, this book is about this. Like, it can be about other things, it goes, but this is the sort of engine that drives it, this one sort of log line. And so you can change anything you want. But that has to be the engine. If you change that log line, that's fine. But now you're making a different story. Um, and, and it really helps to have someone around who can do that, I've learned. So that's kind of what I do. I'm, I'm a producer on them on Horror Store. I'm a writer. So yeah, um, that that's what I do now. And I and it takes time, but I, but I, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's I mean, the one. Like you're... No, go ahead, Sean. Well, I was gonna say the one thing that that I've I've seen from you know the book to film adaptations 
is, you know, sometimes they don't get it right. Uh, Game of Thrones. And <laughs> she's she's still livid about Game of Thrones. Um, um, you you are still livid. I let it go. I think mean, maybe everyone not. is. Yeah, you did not. But I've, I've but never watched it. We so we covered we covered um, Maximum Overdrive. Oh God. Mm-hmm. If, if you're familiar, and oh, yeah. that was that was the one film that Stephen King was like, hey, I'm going to direct. Yeah. You, do you ever see yourself getting in the director's chair? No, I no. I, I write. That's what I do. Right, I like right. the process. That's where I find my happiness. Like, yeah, it's directing is hurting a lot of cats and making nine million decisions. And then if anything goes wrong, everyone yells at you. Uh, it doesn't seem very gratifying. <laughs> no, well, no. Stephen King, not only, you know, he directed Maximum Overdrive because he, you know, he always does his cameos and then sometimes a little acting stunts, you know, like uh, he, he, you know, the in the first creep show, you know, he the lonesome mm-hmm. death of Jordy Verrill, which I don't I couldn't see anybody else in that role. But mm-hmm. you didn't really yeah. need an actor actor for that. Um, but yeah, so when he did Maximum Overdrive, you know, we kept joking about cocaine's a hell of a drug. because that was when he was severely yeah. doing a lot of drugs. But he also says that's a terrible movie and I will never direct again. Yeah. I learned my lesson. I'm going to write my books now. Yeah. Although I really enjoy it for what it is. I think it's fun. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, well, it's any any fun. movie, any movie that you get to see, like little kids get pelted with soda cans, yeah. you know, exactly. I mean, Haven't we all thought about that? <laughs> I will okay. say one thing that's really worth it is I think you can just find it online. But the creep show screenplay he wrote is really fun. And actually, there's so much stuff in it that doesn't make it into the movie because he'll just mm-hmm. go. He will just give these epic full page descriptions of a magazine page or something. You're like, he's a maniac. No going to see that. Yeah, but it's really, <laughs> it's really fun to read. It's really got his style to it. He loves his details. And I think that's why he's so successful in what he does and how he stayed you know, so relevant mm-hmm. is because like, okay, so when 11, 22, 63 came out, uh, first of all, I hate time travel movies. And second of all, I don't really care about the Kennedy assassination. This is none of it grabbed me, but I started reading the book and I couldn't fucking put it down because of the details, because of the attention to it. And it made me care about things that I don't care about. And I'm like, right. that is doing your job. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which you have clearly done. And, and to kind of go back to what you were saying before about the adaptations, I mean, I know as, as a screenwriter, um, you know, especially with, with what I'm, I'm in the process of trying to get done with, with my first film, um, I could very easily sell the script. Just like how you, you know, you, you sell your manuscripts, you get them picked up, you get published because right. it's different because you're writing novels. And, and at this point, like adaptations are going to happen because your work is that good that it needs to be seen in other mediums. Um, so that that's that's kind of like like the caveat for you, but where for me, I get what you're saying in essence because like your name is attached to this, right? You know what I mean? And like, yeah, granted, yeah, yeah, and 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 you want you want it now. You you kind of want to be more of a presence, you know, when they're doing this because you know you don't want the essence of like what the story, you know. I mean, because like like you said, the story can be something to me, but then be something else to to Candy or something else to Sean. It's what you else. bring to it, also. Right. That it, it was some of what you take away but, but you know there's the there's the essence of the story but it's right. a little different for each of this but that's why like i i'm choosing to to direct like my my script mm-hmm. because 
like I, I can't see anybody else doing because I know like directors have final say for everything. Right. Uh, directors can change everything. You know, I don't I don't want this to come out and it be a hit. And but it's not really like my vision. I don't right. want this to come out and it sucks because it's not really my vision. If it's going to be a hit, it's because of me. If it's going to be shit, it's because of me. At the end of the day, like, you know, I, I kind of get that from you too. Yeah, which I think has where, to be the attitude. Right. And I think good, bad, or indifferent, like you, you want to be the one that like, you know, this is mine. This is my right. baby. Yeah. You know, the, the, the same with your books. And, you know, honestly, man, I, and I can't keep praising you enough, man. Like these books are just, Wow. No, I appreciate. Just, wow, man! Like seriously, I mean, seriously, like, like no, no bullshit, man. Sky's the limit for you. Like, I really like Thanks. anything that you put out. We're gonna buy it. Yeah, I'm gonna hold you to that. I'm just yeah. gonna- no, seriously, <laughs> because I mean, my my Amazon wish list right now, yeah. dude. I, I already have Horror Store on there, and I have uh, We Sold Our Souls on there now. I mean, I now I also have um the the the, the Kung Fu book as yeah, of yeah. last night in my oh, Amazon thanks. wish list for this. Because um, anything that you're attached to is gold. It's going to be good. And, and with, wow. the, with this show coming out, um, you know, I, I really think um, we always lose a little bit in translation. Like, you could do the best adaptation. Sure. I mean, like, look at Gone with the Wind. It's a four-hour-long movie, and it just skims the surface of what's in that book. Right. I immensely prefer the book. But do I like the movie? Yes. And and so it's like, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe aren't readers, what, what's great about doing a show is maybe they're going to go, you know what, I'm really enjoying this and I want to read the book and they're going to read it and be like, it's different, but I like it. Yeah. You know, because you can go into so much more detail with the written word than, you know, it, it, there yeah, are well, different they each have forms different of expression. Strength. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't mean to be rude, but I've got oh, to no, tap no, out. No, no, no. I was still realizing need to, what time no, no, it was. No, 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 no. Yeah, I still Sorry, need dude. to finish rewriting this chapter before I'm allowed to leave oh. this office. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, we, totally. I was just going to be like, we need to let this man have his time because yeah. he just told us how busy he was. We really appreciate <laughs> it. So much. No, I'm and happy it's... to be on here. We'll do it again. Oh, yeah, my God. Definitely. Oh, please, please. This has been delightful. I'd, I'd like to have you, I'd like to have you on for just a regular episode, and we can just come talk sure. horror, tear up a us. movie. Yeah, talk about yeah. a movie. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I'll be doing this again starting in like May. So, absolutely, I'm. I'm I love talking about other. I love talking about stuff that's not mine. Sometimes, yeah, there you <laughs> yeah, go. because because then yeah, you can be a little bit. It, it, you, you, it's more objective, you know, because yeah. you when it's something that you've written, you you see things that maybe other people don't see. Like that one, I shouldn't have done that one sentence, maybe or something. You know, not you <laughs> yeah. don't have to be critical like that. You can be critical on other people's work and not worry about it. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> but, uh, Grady, you. if you want to go ahead and and plug um, what you got coming and how people yeah, can get in touch well, with you um, as well. Yeah, these fist break bricks is coming out uh, now. Basically, uh, you can get it at mondoshop.com or it's going to be an Amazon and Barnes and Noble and indie bookstores all over the place. But the best way, I'm sort of in the hibernating mode right now because I got to finish this book and then write a new one um, in the first six months of next year. But um, that one's pretty well put together, so I'm hoping six months um, at least for a draft. But uh, keep up with what I'm doing is just GradyHendrix.com. It's got my social media junk, my newsletter, um, where I sometimes just like review random erotic ghost paperbacks um, because someone needs to or not. Um, yeah, so yeah, GradyHendrix.com. That's where all the dumb yeah. junk is. <laughs> awesome. All right. 
Um, I, I personally want to just thank you for writing for, for this book, man. Like honestly, okay. like this this book was amazing, and you know, I've I've been singing the praises of it since I since I got it, and I and I will continue to do so. It's it's amazing. I really and, appreciate you know, that. I didn't want to get too serious on you, and I don't really have time to do it now. But I just want to say this spoke to me as a real life final girl. I felt represented. I felt understood. I felt uh, like, wow, there are so many of us out there. And, you know, to take it, put humor in it, to make it feel real, to make them fallible. It was it was, it really spoke to me on a level that I know is a very different experience than the rest of the people sitting here now. Um, but it, it was important to me. Um, I really appreciate that, especially with where it's coming from with you. Thank you. That means a lot. And, and, and just thank you for your time. And this has been a, a wonderful experience and we look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, no, we are, we are absolutely buying the next book, the How to Sell Your Haunted House. I appreciate it. Buying that. Well, but let's do this with the movie next time. Yeah. All, All right. right. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a great time. All right. All right. Thank All right. you, guys. Take Please. care. Have a good and night. Happy, happy, happy holidays. Bye, everyone. Yeah, enjoy your holidays. Yes. Oh, good night. you too.